acquitted but condemned by Senator McConnell. Was that the right result? Certainly the acquittal was the right result. We'll talk about whether McConnell did the right thing by explaining why he voted for acquittal despite his condemnation of President Trump's actions on The Der Show. Today on President's Day, we celebrate the great legacies of our first president, um, George Washington, and perhaps our greatest president, uh, Abraham Lincoln, who preserved uh, the Union and died uh, as a result. Um, Today, we also celebrate our Constitution, because over the weekend, the Constitution won a victory. It was a close victory. It won not by a majority vote, but by the lack of a two-thirds vote. Um, But it was still a victory for the Constitution, for the First Amendment, for the provisions of the Constitution that prohibit uh, a person who's out of office from being impeached and tried. Uh, Yes, it was a victory, a modest victory for the Constitution itself. As far as Donald Trump is concerned, it was a mixed result. He was acquitted, acquitted with 43 votes in his favor, 57 votes against him. But the minority leader, formerly the majority leader of the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell, went out of his way to condemn the actions of um, then-President Trump, essentially condemning what he did from the day of the election till the day of the inauguration, according to McConnell, spreading a false account of the election claiming it was stolen and fraudulent and that he, Donald Trump, was the legitimate president. McConnell would have none of that. Although he voted for an acquittal, um, he took the opportunity to really attack um, Donald Trump. And uh, Donald Trump uh, did not come away from that attack unscathed. A lot of Americans uh, agreed with the substance of what McConnell said. Um, I also thought McConnell performed a very important civic function. I think he really gave us a civics lesson. He explained to the American public that you can condemn the actions of a president, as he did, uh, particularly his speech of uh, January 6th and the resulting um, attack on the Capitol, as well as speeches that he made before that, calling the election stolen and fraudulent. You can condemn the man, you can condemn the person, but you can still stand up and defend the Constitution. Uh, McConnell went out of his way to say that the most important reason that he voted for acquittal had nothing to do with the guilt or innocence of uh, President Trump when he was serving in office. It had to do with his very strong belief, and he's right, that the Senate has no power to try a former president who is no longer in office. He quoted from the Constitution, which says the president and other civil officials um, shall be removed upon impeachment and conviction for treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors. And he interpreted that consistent with James Madison's interpretation that you can't put on trial a former president, that the power of impeachment ends the moment that the president leaves office. Certainly, if the president leaves office, not as the result 
of um, a tactical uh, resignation, but as the result of being voted out of office in a legitimate election. And so McConnell made that argument very powerfully. In doing so, of course, he was parroting an argument I've made from the beginning of this impeachment. I've written extensively. I wrote a lead op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, which was widely circulated among members of the Senate, and I know it was circulated by Ron Paul and, and others, um, uh, making the argument that a former president cannot be subject to a trial in the Senate. He used that argument as the basis for his acquittal. Now, he was criticized for that by some saying, well, the Senate already voted that they had jurisdiction. That's a settled matter. How can he then vote to acquit on the ground that the Senate had no jurisdiction? Well, it's obvious that he can. Uh, the Senate votes by a simple majority that it has jurisdiction, but then it requires a two-thirds vote. And the members of the two-thirds vote, uh, or the one-third vote in this case, that denies the two-thirds vote, are not bound by the majority vote. They're entitled to acquit on any ground. There were several grounds offered by the Trump defense team for acquittal. The first and primary one was the Senate had no jurisdiction. And senators who dissented from the original vote had the right to maintain their dissent when it came to acquittal. They could say, we don't agree with the United States uh, Senate's majority. Um, we think that there is no jurisdiction. That was ground one. Ground two was denial of due process. Ground three was the uh, First Amendment, and ground four was that the First Amendment is applicable to impeachment proceedings. It really doesn't matter on what ground senators decide to acquit. They have the right to acquit on any ground. And, of course, the House managers repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly mis and, 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 and fallaciously cited the Belknap case. They always cite the Belknap case for one proposition, namely that the Senate has jurisdiction. Yes, in Belknap, just like in this case, the Senate, by a narrow vote, majority vote, voted that it had jurisdiction over a former member of the cabinet. It then proceeded to acquit him on exactly the same ground as the acquittal occurred here. Namely, 23 senators in the Belknap case said, even though the Senate voted that it had jurisdiction, we don't agree, and we're voting to acquit. You never hear that from the House managers, what the result of the Belknap case was, and that if it's a precedent at all, it's a precedent that says that senators may vote to acquit on the lack of jurisdiction, even if the Senate previously voted that it had jurisdiction. Um, and then there was the First Amendment uh, issue. Uh, McConnell did say that if this impeachment had occurred and the trial had occurred, while the president was still in office, he doesn't know how he would have voted. He didn't tell us exactly what his views were on the First Amendment or the applicability of the First Amendment. But the implication is that at least some senators voted on First Amendment grounds as well, putting the lie to the 140-something constitutional scholars that said that argument would be frivolous. An argument can't be frivolous if you win based on it, if you get some senators, we don't know how many, who agreed with the First Amendment argument, it can't possibly be frivolous if you've persuaded senators who are your jurors and judges that the argument is a sound one. 
Well, the media went off on on McConnell. I thought he was a hero. I'm no fan of McConnell. Let's get that straight right from the beginning. I think McConnell stole a Supreme Court seat from the Democrats when they refused to allow the Senate to consider the nomination by President Obama of, of the now Attorney General of the United States. Uh, I think that was a theft, uh, not a legal theft, but a moral theft, particularly when four years later, the same McConnell said it was okay to rush through a nomination just days before the election. So I think the Merrick Garland scandal is always going to tarnish the reputation of McConnell. So I'm not a fan of McConnell in general, but I am very much a fan of the statement he made the other day. I don't judge people in general. I judge them by their actions. And McConnell's statement, distinguishing between his feelings toward the actions of President Trump, the morality, the political nature, the what, however you want to characterize it, he said President Trump was wrong in saying what he said on uh, January 6th and was wrong in saying what he said previously. I tend to agree with much of that. I'm not sure I would have used exactly the words that uh, McConnell used, but I agree with the thrust of it. And then to say, but nonetheless, I voted to acquit on constitutional grounds. You'd think any American was smart enough to understand that. No, <laughs> not the folks at CNN. Uh, they railed after uh, McConnell, saying it was a contradiction, it was inconsistent, it was hypocrisy. No, it was exactly the right approach to take. You separate out the constitutionality. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the question put by one of the Democratic senators to the lawyers for uh, Donald Trump. They actually had the nerve to ask the lawyers, what is your personal view, your personal view as to whether the election was stolen? What an outrageously improper question to ask a lawyer. Lawyers are not there to express their personal views. If I had been the lawyer there, I would have really turned on that senator. How dare you ask me my personal views? I'm here as a lawyer. Ask me about my client's views. Ask me about my client's, the legality of what he did. Ask me about the constitutionality. Don't ask me about my private views, my personal views. Uh, don't ask me whether I'm a Democrat or a Republican. Don't ask me whether I voted for Donald Trump or, or Joe Biden. Don't ask me any of those questions. That's not my job as a lawyer. That may be your job as a senator to tell people your personal views, but as a lawyer for a client, my job is to advocate that client's views. I'm there in a representational capacity not in a personal capacity. I, the lawyer, am not on trial. And I think the same thing is true with McConnell. McConnell, his, he didn't think that the personal views, the personal statements of Donald Trump were necessarily on trial. He made a distinction. He made a distinction between the constitutional rights of Donald Trump, the former president, and whether he was right to do what he did. You can easily take the view that a person has the right to say something, but it's not right to say it. Uh, not to make any comparisons, because I never make comparisons with Nazis, but when the Nazis marched through Skokie, I said they had a right to do so, but they were certainly not right in doing so. It was outrageous to march through a neighborhood of Holocaust survivors with Nazi symbols in order to traumatize them. What could be worse? If they had been hit by a truck, I'd be applauding. 
as long as it was an accident, not if it was deliberate or purposeful. If they had slipped on a banana peel and the Nazis had gotten their comeuppance, you wouldn't have heard any complaints about me. But they had a right to do what they did under the Constitution. They were not right to do it. I think that point of distinction is so important. You've heard that hundreds of times on The Der Show. The difference between approving of what a person did or said and giving them the right to do it. I defend people who are accused of murder. I certainly don't support murder. And I don't necessarily believe all of my clients are, are innocent. If, if I don't believe they're innocent, I won't put them on the witness stand. I won't let them lie, but I'll defend them on constitutional grounds, on procedural grounds, whether the confession was valid or invalid. Today's New York Times has a long story about how many people have been convicted based on false confessions. Yeah, I'll make those arguments. But that doesn't mean I am like my client or I support my client or I am identified with my client. That's McCarthyism. And we're hearing it all over the place. We're hearing it from people on the right when McCarthyism occurred. We're hearing it from people on the left today. We're hearing it when they put sign traitor on the home fence of the lawyer for, for Donald Trump. We hear it when people who I've known for 25 years no longer speak to me because I defended the constitutional rights of a president who I didn't vote for. I mean, my God, don't we understand the lesson of McCarthyism? A lawyer is not the client. A doctor is not the patient. A priest is not the penitent. A psychologist is not the patient. Uh, we have separate roles to perform. My role is as an advocate for the Constitution. The title of my book that includes my speech on the Senate floor against the impeachment of President Trump the first time around, the title of my book is Defending the Constitution. That's what I do, and that's what I'll continue to do. And on Fox News yesterday, I offered to defend anybody who is the subject of the new McCarthyism, any lawyer who is being disbarred because they defended the president, any college or university professor or student who's being disciplined or in any way proceeded against because they were associated with the Trump administration. I will defend any of them against the McCarthyite charges that we're hearing level today, and I will defend myself uh, when friends and former friends and associates and neighbors attack me for defending the Constitution. You don't give up 25 years of friendship because you disagree with somebody's interpretation of the Constitution. But that's what we've come to today. It really does tell you the difference between real friends and, and, and others. And I will continue to always speak out based on my principles, whether they help or hurt people I like or don't like. That's the role of a constitutional lawyer. That's the role of any of us who support and defend the Constitution. So um, three cheers for what uh, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell did the other day. No cheers for what he did in the case involving Supreme Court justices, but three cheers for what he did the other day, and no cheers for CNN and others uh, in the left-wing media who surely understood what McConnell was saying, but deliberately misled their viewers, and their viewers want to be misled. The viewers want to be told what makes them comfortable. It's comfort TV. Just 
Tell us what we want to hear. Don't make us think. Don't make us engage in nuance. Don't distinguish between what the Constitution requires and morality. Don't give us any of those sophisticated distinctions. Just tell us you hate Trump. We hate Trump. Anybody who supports Trump's constitutional rights is wrong. Just tell us that. Feed us that. And we'll sit back happily, smugly, and smile and buy your products that you advertise on television. Because that's what you're doing, CNN. And that's what you're doing in the media, essentially, on many sides of this issue. Uh, And we have to get back to a time where we can trust the news We can trust cable television. We can trust the newspapers to give us the facts and let us decide how we want to deal with those facts. As was famously said by Pat Moynihan and others, each of us are entitled to our opinions, but we're not entitled to our facts. And the media have an obligation to present facts. If you want to condemn McConnell, okay, but understand what he is saying. He is saying that he disapproves He is quoting Voltaire. I disapprove of what you have said, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. What McConnell was saying was, I disapprove of what President Trump did when he was president, but I will fight to defend the Constitution from those who would undercut the Constitution and give the Senate jurisdiction over matters they have no jurisdiction over and other constitutional prohibitions. So that's a distinction That's very important to keep in mind. It's a distinction I will always make. I'd love to hear your views, because some of you probably think the Constitution should be amended. It should reflect morality. It shouldn't allow somebody to say, I think what he did was wrong, but I vote to acquit him. If you think what he did was wrong, you should vote to convict him. Well, you need to amend the Constitution to get to that result. What you would put in the Constitution, I don't know. Impeachment can be based on you don't like what the president did or said. We wouldn't have any presidents left. The framers were right to put in the Constitution four criteria for impeachment, treason, bribery, or other other high crimes and misdemeanors. Those are the only bases on which a president, a sitting president, can be impeached, period. End of sentence, end of paragraph, end of book. That's what the Constitution says, and it means it. And those criteria are just as unchangeable as the two-thirds vote. You know, there are those who say, President Ford said it, uh, Congresswoman Waters, impeachment is whatever the House and Senate say it is. There is no law. Well, I challenge them. Would they allow the Senate to change the two-thirds requirement and allow impeachment based on a 51% majority? If you can't change that, and you know you can't change that, how can you change the criteria for impeachment? It's just illogical. It makes no sense. And it's totally result-oriented. There are dead parts of the Constitution and there are living parts. Two-thirds is dead. You can't change it. The criteria for impeachment, treason, bribery, or other crimes and misdemeanors, dead. You can't change it. The due process of law, that's subject to interpretation. The freedom of speech, equal protection of the law, cruel and unusual punishments, Those are subject to interpretation. Two-thirds is not subject to interpretation. Treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors means criminal-type behavior. Other, Other high crimes and misdemeanors refers to treason and bribery or other 
others like treason and bribery. You can't change those words because you don't like them. Yeah, you can change them if you amend the Constitution, but you can't change them without amending the Constitution. Well, that's my view. Um, this is it. The impeachment is over. We can move on to other issues. Uh, the president has been acquitted uh, and condemned. Um, had the Senate voted, by the way, simply to issue a condemnation, a formal condemnation of the president, that would have prevailed because it only requires a majority vote. But they decided to go whole hog. They decided to go for impeachment and disqualification and they lost. Now it will be up to the American public, to the American voters, to decide who the candidates are in 2024, not up to 100 senators, not up to several hundred members of Congress. It's up to 160, 70 million American voters who will vote in the 2024 election. That's how it should be in a democracy. That's my view on The Dirt Show. Let's hear your views now. Here's our first call for today. Hello, this is Dr. Romano from Miami Beach, Florida. I've seen you on some shows since the impeachment yesterday, and I was wondering how you rationalize that the First Amendment won on any possible stretch of the imagination when the majority of senators voted uh, as guilty, ignoring completely any First Amendment uh, freedom of speech. It didn't solve anything. The next time Republicans have the majority, they're going to impeach as well. I, I, I think it, it's opposite of what you're saying, and I, I'd like to hear your rationale. Thank you. You make a good point. Uh, I've said it was a modest victory for the Constitution. You're right. A majority of senators, including seven or so um, uh, Republicans, um, voted against the First Amendment. Um, including Mitt Romney, who is my former student um, and somebody who I would have thought would be sensitive to the First Amendment. They either concluded that the First Amendment doesn't apply to an impeachment proceeding or that his speech wasn't covered by the First Amendment. I think both are wrong. And so you're right. It wasn't a victory for the First Amendment. I think it was better than had there been a conviction, which would have been a death knell for the First Amendment, at least in the context of presidential statements. So, good point. Oh, hi, Professor Dershowitz. Um, love your show. This is Gail calling from Massachusetts. I uh, just had a quick question for you. Um, the second impeachment, once again, unconstitutional. Uh, the House managers, who are lawyers, should have known this. Um, obviously, they were interpreting the law the way they wanted to. Uh, but even myself, going to school during a time when we had to study the Constitution, it was quite clear uh, that this was unconstitutional. Um, regular citizens would have to, uh, or would be punished, I guess, for filing frivolous lawsuits. Is there any recourse for um, these impeachments um, against the House for doing this, wasting time and money and energy and uh, you know, putting the American people really um, in a great disadvantage, I think, in many, many ways. So is there any recourse uh, against them? Uh, love the show. Uh, keep up the good work. We're learning so much. Thanks so much. Bye. Well, thanks. Uh, of course, there's recourse. It's called the ballot box. Uh, if you think your congressman voted erroneously, if you think your congressman wasted time and resources, 
Let him know at the polls. Vote against her or him. But there is no legal recourse. Uh, the Senate, the House uh, are judges of their own proceedings, and the Constitution does permit the House to render articles of impeachment, and it doesn't provide for any remedy. Whether the Supreme Court would ever get involved in an extreme case remains to be seen, but the ultimate recourse in democracy is at the ballot box. This is Jim in Indiana. Chief Justice Roberts' refusal to preside over the event now proceeding in the Senate is all that anyone needs to know on why and how it fails to meet the minimum requirements of a constitutional impeachment of a president. Therefore, what it is is an illegal use of government authority to persecute a now private citizen for the purpose of, to deny them their rights to equal access to future work opportunities. I'd like to know your opinion on the question of what legal options a private person has to redress being harmed by an abusive use of government. Thank you. Interesting question. I, I wonder whether or not Chief Justice John Roberts, who I like and know, um, um, would uh, ever disclose the reasons why he refused to sit, um, whether he would write an autobiography, whether he would regard that as not something that the public had the right to know. I think it would be interesting uh, to see what he would say about that. He delivers every year the state of the judiciary message. He could include a statement there. Um, but no, there is no recourse uh, against uh, the Senate or the House for unconstitutionally abusing their power. The only recourse, again, is is the ballot box, but you can't sue Congress for abusing its authority. All you can do is complain that they, too, are not above the law, and they place themselves above the law often. Hi, uh, this is uh, Rick calling from uh, Washington, D.C. I'm going to ask a hopefully a uh, hard question. Um, you are, of course, a uh, recognized expert on the First Amendment. And uh, my question is, um, hopefully, um, that you can answer, is with respect to the First Amendment, the application of the First Amendment, is there a difference uh, with the application of the First Amendment to a private citizen uh, as opposed to a, an office holder who swears an oath to uphold the Constitution? So, uh, and let me give you the, the hypothetical, um, a private citizen um, has a protection to go onto Twitter, to go onto social media or onto soapbox and advocate for the um, overthrow of the Constitution. Um, it's absolutely protected speech. Um, I think everyone can agree with that. Is there a difference, however, uh, with someone who takes an oath to uphold the Constitution? Does Would the First Amendment apply if a president uh, would advocate the um, someone not to follow follow the Constitution, and um, you know even further if the if the president directed someone under his control um, or in his in, in his administration not to follow the Constitution, would the First Amendment apply? Thank you so much, and I will await your answer. Bye. It's a great question. Of course, many presidents have instructed people under them not to follow the Constitution. Franklin Delano Roosevelt uh, instructed people under him to put 110,000 Americans of Japanese origin in, in detention centers. That violated the Constitution. Abraham Lincoln told the people under him to suspend the writ of habeas corpus. The Supreme Court held that to be unconstitutional under the 
circumstances in, in which he uh, did it. Uh, so many American presidents have told people to violate the Constitution. There really are, are two separate questions. Uh, one, is there a separate rule for the First Amendment for office holders and for private citizens? And the answer to that is, in some respects, yes. Uh, for example, if a person is a civil servant and his job or her job is part of the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department and they get up at a Klan meeting and start talking about racial inferiority or making you know anti-black or anti-Semitic or anti-gay statements, they can be fired from their job. And that's not because the First Amendment is different. It's because the First Amendment allows that kind of firing under those circumstances. And, of course, the House managers try to analogize that to the president, but you can't. The president can't be fired. The president is not an employee. The president can't be dismissed or removed unless he or she commits an impeachable offense. And the impeachable offenses are treason, bribery, other high crimes, and misdemeanors. And unless the president commits one of those four offenses... They can't be removed. They can't be fired. And so, no, if a president got up and said what Thurgood Marshall said, the Constitution is a questionable document. It was a slave document. It was written uh, by a slave uh, country. It, it has all kinds of invalidities. Uh, we should change it. Of course, a president could say that um, and not be impeachable. Now, you might want to amend the Constitution. And say that in addition to treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors, the president shall be impeached and removed from office for violating the oath of office or for abusing his trust or for make a list of things. That hasn't happened. That was rejected at the Constitutional Convention when somebody suggested maladministration, which was the British criteria. And Madison said, no, that would have the president serve at the pleasure of Congress. That's the British system. We don't want that system in America. So it's a complicated question, but the answer in general is the president cannot be impeached and removed for making a speech that is protected by the First Amendment. He has to do something that subjects him to impeachment under the four criteria in the text of the Constitution. My question, Dersh, is this. If the shoe is on the other foot, now that the Democrats have brought this up and have... Um, gone after President Trump on these charges. What happens when we don't like what Joe Biden has now said to people and now Republicans want to go after him for such things as mm -hmm. treasonable utterances and uh, this, you know just things that are not things that things that normally would be just a regular old speech, mm -hmm. which then they'll now turn into a. Uh, impeachable offense. And what's what what would happen if if I mean now we're, we're going down this road of impeaching every president that when he says something that we don't like, he or she says something that that the United States public doesn't like. You know that we do we will now have to put them on trial. What are, what is the what are the ramifications of that? Thank you so much, and I'm so glad to. Um, watch your podcast and watch your your show i think it's it brings a lot of good things into people's into the minds of 
of people everywhere. You're a beacon of hope in a in a sea of mediocrity. Thank you, sir. Well, thanks for your kind words. The hypothetical you pose is not a hypothetical. Um, we have already seen uh, at least one senator say that if the Republicans gained control of the House in 2022, um, they may very well move to impeach Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, uh, for things she said and did. Now, I don't think they have jurisdiction to do that because they're claiming that what she said and did occurred before she was vice president, while she was a member of the Senate. And there's still a question whether you can impeach a senator. Um, Senate is the judge of its own uh, members. It's an interesting question. Look, if they try to impeach, if the Republicans gain control in two years and they try to impeach Harris or Biden, I will be on Harris and Biden's side. Remember, I'm not a partisan. Uh, I support the Constitution. And if they try to impeach a Democratic president or vice president on grounds that do not satisfy the Constitution, treason, bribery, other high crimes and misdemeanors, I'm on their side. I'm in their corner. I will offer to help them the way I helped uh, President Trump when he was unconstitutionally impeached and tried uh, last year. Uh, And so... I I agree with you. Everybody has to pass the shoe on the other foot test. But for me, that doesn't mean you should impeach Biden and Harris. It means you shouldn't have impeached Trump or Biden and Harris. And so I'll continue to be consistent in my views. I'll continue to welcome all your calls. Great calls this morning. Really interesting. Uh, Hard questions. Um, Some of them have made me rethink uh, positions uh, I've taken about the First Amendment, as I've always said. My classes are the best when I learn something from my students, and I always learn something from my viewers and listeners. So keep calling into The Dirt Show, and please subscribe on Rumble, YouTube, and all the other platforms, because we don't censor. You get to have your say on The Dirt Show. An important part of The Dirt Show is your voice, your questions, your comments. Please call 24-7. The number is 216 710 0050. Keep your comments short and to the point. Again, the number for you to call 24-7 is 216-710-0050. Hard questions, criticisms, everything's fine. Just keep your questions short and I'll answer them all on The Dirt Show.